Hi, I'm Simon Rogerson. I'm the editor of Scuba Magazine, and I'm here to join Gemma and Ian on the Big Scuba Podcast. Give us a listen, and hopefully we'll keep you awake. Hello, and welcome back, everybody. This is the Big Scuba Podcast coming at you. Uh, thank you very much for downloading once again. And uh, my name is Ian, and also with me is... Gemma. <laughs> Satellite pause now. Well done for, uh, coming in on the right button. Did you know this is episode 36, Gemma? It is, yeah. They're yeah. racking up very quickly now. They are certainly are. But I have to tell you, this is not Superman's favourite episode. And do, you, do you want to know why? This I is love your facts. Come on, what's 36? I know everyone's shouting at the right at the um I was gonna say the radio. It's not radio, is it? No, a device. At the device, at the digital device. Um well, the reason why it's not Superman's favourite uh, episode is because uh thirty-six is the atomic number for Krypton. How about that? No, he doesn't like that. It's no funny. No, exactly. <laughs> so uh, it starts going all all green and a bit shaky, really. It's a bit like me when I get the um price of fuel and things like that like, oh, much? get a bit green get a bit shaky and you're like oh, that's how much oh anyway, well even we if we lose superman as a listener it's no big biggie is it i know and who knew superman even tuned into big scuba podcast exactly yeah so um welcome and uh thank you for joining us as always um uh, let's get straight down to business if you have not subscribed to our youtube channel why not um, there's always something going on. There's something going on every week. Uh, just this week, we shared a little, a little ditty um, for a few minutes, starting from uh, walking up to our local gym, where yeah. we go very regularly for all sorts of fun things like combat. Body pump, spinning, swimming, sitting in the hot tub, having a steam. Don't tell people about all that. <laughs> we've, got, we've got to try and portray that we're constantly working out and, you know, getting we fit not sitting in hot tubs so anyway, anyway we you know so yeah a little there's a little video out for a few minutes starting off at the gym working the way through and you'll see us in class and boom straight into the water because we were diving we actually got wet we you know, did stony cove weren't we? we had a great time so um there's a little mix of us in the water but we're both on you know? yeah we are yeah we've yeah, both got uh, cameras on yep yeah, both got cameras on and it was lovely and clear. It was really yeah. nice. Yes, yeah, so that was my second visit to Stony Cove. And yeah, the visibility was better. Yeah, that's right. And uh, all done with our lovely friends from Paralens. So um, look out for that. That is on YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe and ring the old bell. Keep up to date with what's happening. Um, so yeah, we had a great time at Stony Cove, and um, that was really nice. The weather was weather held, and that was good. Yeah, yeah, it was a nice, calm day. It was lovely. So, yeah, uh, now's a really good time if you are in the Stony Cove area, or you know, within a good drive. Now's a good time to go and have a look uh, if you haven't been there before. Although the water is cooling. I wouldn't say it's particularly cold. It was quite, it was right. No, it was didn't notice any difference, really. No, it didn't. Uh, but the visibility is very good. Mm. So, right, it's not bad at all. And that will get clearer as we um, move into further and in, deeper into the winter. But we're going to go again, aren't we? So, yeah, it should be there hopefully in a couple of weeks' time. All being well. So, um, all the gear to keep us warm. 
Yeah. So what did you do? You you um we set you a little task of practicing your buoyancy. Didn't yeah, you? I went over the Nautilus using my breath and yeah, just breathing yeah. in to raise me up and then yeah, breathing out to go the other side. So that all worked well. Yeah, did and as a it's quite a simple little exercise, but um, you know, you know, uh, I'm sure if you listen to this and you're a tech diver and all that, uh, you know, I'm not telling teaching you to suck eggs or anything like that. So this is for the the newbies and the people who like Gemma who've only done a few dives, you know, um, your breathing makes so much difference to your does, point. Yeah. yeah, and it's all getting used to the equipment as well. So I'm getting used to my dry suit still. And obviously I've wore an extra layer. So that made a little bit of a difference. Yeah. And I had my fourth element hood on, my fourth element gloves. So it was lovely and comfy in the water. And I think you're sponsored by fourth element. <laughs> I'm a fourth element girl. You are. Yeah, um, and I had my new regs to. That was the first time they. Oh, tell well. us about your new regs, Gemma. What's, what's this well, about your new regs? They're Apex regs, and they are the XL4 Plus. So, I have to say, um, they are very white, and they are very snazzy. Actually, I was quite quite jealous of you. Well, them. I don't know how they, how did they look in the water. <laughs> White. In fact, I, I was thinking about I actually could do with some sunglasses actually, just to sort of tone down the whiteness of it. But um, and that weren't just from your uh, torch. Yeah, well, I, less about the torch. Yeah. I like blinding you in with my torch. Yeah, like when I'm trying to get you to look underneath Nautilus, and you're like, where? And I'm blinded, and I go down there, and <laughs> I shine my light in your eyes. You shine the torch back in right between my eyes again. I'm going, oh, thanks. Yeah. Okay. okay. Anyway, but okay. if you are new, you know, it is a, you know, learn getting that buoyancy right. It's all, you know, it's all yeah. a great skill to, to master's base, basic skills. And, um, you know, and it just shows you, doesn't it, how much different what you can do with just, just you correct using your breath exactly yeah and it's all practice so the more yeah you've just got to practice and feel comfortable hopefully it'll yeah. come in time that was my... and you've only got a couple of meters above that nautilus mm. and if you get it wrong you know you are going towards the surface yeah. but you know we're only on the shelf so you know it was fine but you didn't you didn't go on the surface at all you no. you, you show that you could master that by going up and over and back and round again yeah yeah so what with yeah so i had all my fourth element gear and then yeah having a new set of regs but to be honest, they were lovely and light and, yeah, very yeah, I was wearing, uh, I've wearing these new O3 gloves and they're three mil. Now, the water temperature, if you're looking for new gloves, away, um, I have to say um, the water temperature was about 14 degrees, uh, 14 degrees C. And these new O3 gloves are actually really quite like, uh, mm. not just because they glow in dim, in dim light and dark, um, but actually, they feel really comfortable. Yeah, they look good. They do, and um, yeah, my hands were quite warm. Actually. Considering I've been using five mil water uh, mm. gloves uh, for the last well year dot since I've been diving, so this is the first time ever I've had a different brand of gloves, and these are very nice. They these are the three mil tri season O3 gloves. So if you're looking for new ones, and they've got square tips as well to the fingers. And they're preformed fingers as well, so they're slightly bent yeah, as well. Got, yeah, which... They have got a slight curved, um, but yeah, they're very nice. I'm, I'm quite enjoying them. It's going to be interesting um, over the course of the winter, as the winter, as the water cools, um, to see how they yeah, how they stand up. Yeah. 
but so far so good i like them look out for them on the social media i'll put a little post up about them there we go follow them so also before we go on to our guest let's talk about our friends blue o2 yep Uh, so for the last two or three months blue o2 had this really great fantastic competition going and um the winners have been announced the you know uh, there's been winners and there's been runners up there's always runners up but you know they've had a fantastic competition they people have sent in some absolutely awesome photographs there's stunning photos yeah they? and in a minute i'm going to have a go at pronouncing the winner <laughs> yeah but the best thing is because they've had such a good response blue o2 are now going to make it an annual event and they've created a calendar so that's going to be a, a regular thing now so for yeah all- I, actually i need a calendar as well <coughs> <laughs> but anyway but yes they they are you know great stunning folk and they will make a really nice calendar on, on the, the wall <laughs> so uh who who's who's judged at Gemma? Who, who's been the judge alex mustard mbe mbe he has and uh who's coming on the show in a couple of weeks time alex mustard mbe i can't wait for that yeah it's uh, gonna be fun is and um, he's, Alice is going to be talking about the photographs, the competition, also his own stuff because you know he's a very well respected photographer. Um, yeah, we'll so, just get down to the yeah, hearing about his background and get down to the nitty gritty, make a yeah. podcast. Yeah, exactly. So that so that'd be good. So well done for everybody who did uh, take part and send your photos in. And uh, the winner was here we go. Mazayuki Agawa, who's in well, the USA, mm-hmm. and it was a photo-, photo of Hammer River, and it's called yes. Hammer River because it's actually full of hammerhead sharks, yeah. and they're awesome. And the picture is amazing. amazing. Yeah. The guy's literally low down, hanging, well, on clinging rocks, and all the hammerheads are above him. Yeah, he does actually look like he's clinging on, because if you look at his hair, if you look at his hair, he's in a current, mm. and uh, the current is... Uh, pushing towards him by the looks of it and the hammerheads are going into the current yeah. but awesome it must have been awesome to see and there yeah. must be, just in that photo there's probably a good 50 hammerheads and there's more coming who are out, out shot yeah. so for the listeners if you want to have a look just go to the blue 2 website or check out big scuba facebook page and instagram page yeah the posts of the pictures and i do apologize for mazayuki Agawa, if I pronounce your name wrong, because I probably have, but I do come from Norfolk, so there we go. Yeah. So, yeah, so start taking your photos, ready to enter in the competition next year. Absolutely, absolutely, get them photographs in, all right? So, uh, well done to everybody, and uh, there we go. Yep. That's all the news, Jem. So, who have we got coming? So, this is episode 36, and we are talking to Simon Rogerson. Rogers, you promised me you was going to roll your R's. I can't roll my R's. It's like <laughs> Simon Rogerson, and he is the editor of Scuba Magazine. Yeah, brilliant magazine, and that is the BZAC magazine. It so is. Yeah. Look out for that. Uh, really informative. Um, and Simon also writes for other articles, including Sunday Times, I do believe. Yes, yeah, he told us about he'd been on a liverboard, a very um, posh liverboard, and done an yeah. article in the Sunday Times. So, yeah, so he's uh, yeah, very well travelled. And, yeah, we just had a lovely conversation with him. He was, yeah, very, very good. 
Yeah, really good, really good, uh, relaxed guy, uh, easy to talk to, very informative, and uh, yeah, it's uh, editor of a really good magazine. Look out yeah. for that. Yeah, so I think we'll get straight into episode 36 then. Let's do it. Yep. Enjoy, everybody. And see we'll you see you on the other side. Hello, Simon. Hi, Gemma. Hi. Hello. Hi. Welcome to my sweaty office. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very nice of you to join us. I know it's uh, been some time since we spoke and managed to get the date sorted. No worries, we made it in the end. How are you guys? Are you all well? Yes. Yeah, luckily. all good. Thank you. Well, thank you very much for joining us anyway. Welcome to the Big Scuba Podcast. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking me. I really and like the idea of having two presenter stuff. interviewers. I think that that really kind of works. So, yeah. uh, great format. Good luck. So, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. I'm Simon Rogerson. I am a full-time diving journalist. I'm the editor of Skipper Magazine, which is the official journal of the British Subacra Club. And I've okay. been working with the British Subacra Club for 20 odd years. Uh, I first started working in one of their magazines in uh, January of 1999. So at the time, it, it was, um, They've changed Club Magazine in the intervening time. It was Dive Magazine, which I was editor of, which is still available as a sort of a luxury international high quality art magazine. It's really good, well worth picking up. Um, but when the two companies went their different ways, uh, I chose to stay with the British Subacra. I'd got to know them really well, by, and uh, I really funded their members. And uh, it's the kind of diving I do as well. So um, I have worked with them on, on scuba which is the current title after uh, Dive went independent. So that's the professional kind of career. I got into diving when I was 22, yeah, 92 or thereabouts it was, uh, when I was traveling around Southeast Asia. Uh, I had just qualified as a journalist and I was terrified of actually working. So I uh, went traveling and uh, I'm so white, I got sunburned everywhere I went and somebody said you should just go underwater that'll get you out of trouble. So I did, and I loved it. It's everything uh, that had been missing. It yeah. really it set me free. I love animals. I was raised on, um, not Jack Hoos, I was raised on David Attenborough, literally. Sunday evening kind of rules were, we watched Life on Earth, what was going out. And that was probably the greatest education I had as a kid, was yeah. watching natural history TV programs. And the underwater ones were always the best because, um, that's the most alien world. You know, you want to see something completely different. And the early episodes of the original Life on Earth had all these kind of weird hydroids and jellies floating around to kind of replicate what the sea conditions would have been like uh, at the dawn of kind of time. Uh, and, and it really caught my imagination. I thought, this is for kind of Superman, isn't my work. I don't come from an adventure outdoors kind of background. My dad was uh, an accountant. Uh, we lived a long way from the sea and it wasn't in our kind of family history at all. Um, but then when I went traveling, uh, inspired by various friends, the first time I put my head underwater, it was just like a massive epiphany. It was like coming home. And I've stuck at it ever since. I'm not a very well qualified diver. I am a uh, Paddy Advanced Diver, first of all. And then I went on to be a BZAC Dive Leader. And I also have a few TDI qualifications at the lower yeah. end of the spectrum. Um, so I'm kind of um, ecumenical in, in my outlook on diving but my life has gravitated towards the British Sub Club and uh, I'd spend a lot of time with members, get to know them. 
And there are a lot of them. The magazine I work for caters for 25,000 members. Uh, yeah. And uh, they're a very broad church. You know, the people have a very set idea of what PSAC is. But I find the moment you start stereotyping uh, a group of people like that, you're usually in for a surprise. Uh, and I get a lot of uh, contact with BZAC through the magazine, through going out and meeting divers. And they're a very, very broad church. And these days they're very accepting uh, of divers from different training agencies because it, it's all numbered. Uh, and I yeah. think we all have that crucial thing in common, uh, which is a love of being underwater. So uh, I do dive quite a lot. I dive abroad. I dive in the UK. I took up photography a long time ago. You might see my camera lurking yeah. on the back of back of my office. Yeah. For me, that kind of became an all-consuming occupation. I wasn't very good at it for a long time, but I kind of persevered. And it's for me, it's part of who I am. I'm a storyteller. I love telling stories and I love sharing other people's what I do magazine. And to be able to bring something back in the form of uh, a picture that helps mm. tell a story, that, that's a really fulfilling thing for me to do. So I've always had a camera. Do you prefer uh, video or pictures? What, stills, actually, yeah, stills. Yeah. Well, funny you should say that. Over the years, um, stills have stood me in good stead because I've worked in magazines and there's no use for video in magazines. And there's not a lot of remuneration for video, even on very interactive websites and so on. So I think you have to really devote yourself to one or the other. It's very difficult to do, to do both. You have to really give yourself over to um, yeah. but I, you know these days actually the way websites coming on and the way interactivity is coming on in magazines mm -hmm. there may be a bit more kind of sense in devoting a bit more time to video but I, i'd just be starting again it's there's a lot to learn yeah. Yeah. so whereabouts are you actually based you i live in wokingham which is a, a market town south of reading in, yeah. in the yeah. Valley. miles from the sea <laughs> we pitch up where we do for a variety of family related really. yeah so what have you been diving sort of recently when we've obviously been let out of our lockdown bubble i was really careful over lockdown so mm. i wanted to see what was going to happen with the first kind of few waves of people and see if it spiked the figures and i think that's what it's going to be like moving forward is we're going to yeah. receive new freedoms and then we're going to see how they spike the the admission figures yeah. So you said you were quite sort of landlocked where you're based. So when was the last time you went diving? Uh, at Swanage last week, funnily enough. Um, right. My first time diving since since uh, the whole COVID thing started. Um, funnily enough, I dived really close up to the lockdown as well. I got off yeah. of a trip. I do a lot of freelance work or a bit of freelance work. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Sunday Times, I've had a relationship with them for quite a long time. And they said, do you want to go to the Maldives? on the uh, Four Seasons uh, Liverboard, the Explorer, which is kind of like a Michelin-starred restaurant that floats around the best dive unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah, no, I said, yeah, I'd swim there <laughs> to get to that one. Um, I think their staff didn't want to take the trip because it was, um, uh, it was leading up to the kind of period where it was obvious the coronavirus was going to be a big, significant thing. But I just yeah. thought it was a great opportunity. And actually, if the trip had been a week later than it was, I wouldn't have gone in a million years because mm. then became clear just how serious it was. Um, yeah. But as it happens, it was it was a really enjoyable uh, ten days of superb diving and food I've ever had. Um, really, it was amazing! Awesome. Oh, it's just insane. But th this is a liverboard that cost fifteen thousand pounds for 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 a trip. So this is kind of for the super rich. It's my kind of my ten days as an oligarch. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Absolutely outrageous. I've never been so well looked after. I've been spoiled on boats a lot. 
But in this one, there was even a little guy who defold your mask for you. What? Really? Outrageous. Absolutely. That was his only job I saw. Um, so it completely ruined me for life, in other words. So I did that, came back. When I came back, it was March the 18th, and we'd wow. gone into lockdown, pro- yeah. proper sort of lockdown. And, you know, wasn't sure if I was going to get back into the country. Rather hoped they might maroon me in a Four Seasons <laughs> uh, island in the Maldives. This is luxury upon luxury. It's ridiculous. But, but uh, that wasn't the way it was. Entered lockdown. I've been putting out magazines ever since because Bizak's got members to look after uh, and they have a magazine for their membership. So we've been putting out a magazine ever since. And uh, last week I saw Fit to go back to the water. We had a tip off that the Viz was really good mm-hmm. in Swanage. And it was. We had sort of eight metres of the pier. And so yeah. it was really good. Yeah, I do see quite a lot posted on Facebook about, yeah, the UK diving at the moment. And yeah, there's such a lot that we've got to offer. Oh, yeah. it's, you know, it's multifaceted. Everything from Shetland to the Sillies, you know. I, I, I sometimes think it'd be a nice magazine feature for every country to put forward 10 or 12 images. Represent your country with 12 underwater. And I know the UK would come out of it really well. Yeah. Because yeah. we have benthic sharks, oceanic sharks. We have colourful reefs. You know, the, the, the reefs and the sillies are not the spots off anything in the world because of the jewel anemones which appear in these beautiful colour-coded communities. There's nothing else like them. Yeah. Um, we've got kelp forests. We have wrecks of all kind of vintage. We've got it all. It's just we've got tides and wind as well. Yeah, yeah. and low temperatures what put a lot of people off. <laughs> yeah, I suppose the feeling of freedom that people get from diving in a, a light wetsuit is it's not quite what you get with a, with a dry suit when you're wearing 10 kilos of lead as well. But like a lot of things, once you get used to it, it's not such a big deal. Yeah, exactly. So during the lockdown, you didn't have to revert to just uh, an online magazine. We you did. Play- oh, you did? We did, and that's still the case. Um, so right. we're still putting out online. Essentially, the diving industry, the, the, the advertising industry, has ground to not quite a halt, but close to a halt uh, as yeah. a result of everything. All the kind of flights to Egypt and all that stuff that is the kind of bedrock of, of, of a lot of diving industries in Europe has come to an end. Uh, yeah. And looks like it's starting up again. The, the, the signs of things coming back to life. Certainly, um, diving trips to Malta have started again, which is superb news. That's a sort of uh, a big place for beginner divers but also for technical divers so that's a really positive thing for the industry but we need more of these things to to to, to waken up um for the industry to get back on it properly yeah. and we need it to be safe as well we don't want to hurry it we want it to yeah. be safe for divers as well but unfortunately the pressures that brought meant that we could only put out a digital magazine so that's what we've been doing for the last three issues right okay so will you go back to paper as well uh, that's a decision for the business people at the British Subacra Club. So, mercifully, that's above my pay grade. I make the magazine, but the yeah. format that, that um, my client at the British Subacra Club wants to choose, that's up to them. And that's a business decision. So, yeah. um, my understanding is it's, it's what the members want, uh, but it's, it has to be made to work financially. Yeah. yeah. Do, you, do you get a lot of feedback from the members and the users of the... Um, subscription or magazine yeah I mean uh, we obviously have a letters page like everybody else and it's usually brimming uh, we have a lot of people write in we actually have a pretty good Aqualung computer up as the prize for the best letter so it's a nice incentive generally in journalism you hear from people when they don't like yeah. so kind of a nice contented silence is no bad thing 
and you know I'm, we're a one-man band editorially it's just me so you know if there's a huge amount of traffic between the readers and me then I can't get on with making the next magazine but actually the, the system's pretty good I get a lot of support from BZAC uh, they're really kind of sympathetic clients to work with mm -hmm. uh, the, the guys at the headquarters and um, in general the, the amount of kind of feedback between me and the members is is manageable so it doesn't distract me from the job at hand and the more i ask the more they kind of come up with the goods that's good I, uh, I recently asked for a load of new writers to get involved because if it's the same old people all the time the magazines feel a bit samey and i wanted um to break in some new talent so we held a writing comp and we've just been flooded with entry and people are telling the challenge was tell a story in 400 words no kind of restriction theme no working title. Tell me a good diving story in 400 words, which is really yeah. difficult yeah. because 400 words is it's nothing. You know, it's 30 seconds to talk. Um, but actually, we've got some genius replies. And there's, That's again, good. there's a really nice prize. We've got a, an O3 dry suit, their new membrane dry suit, which is nice. a beautiful dry lamb. Yeah, it's luxury kind of dry suit, super piece of kit. And um, I, we haven't chosen a winner yet. There's too many entries. We're still going <laughs> through them. That's good. You've got a big, big number to choose from. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, so we spoke, obviously, your qualifications. Have you got plans to get more qualifications, or are you quite happy with the level that you've got to? This is embarrassing because as a diver, I'm really happy with where I'm at, which is really bad because there's always room for more. Why is stuff. it bad? Uh, because really you should be always on an upward curve. You should always be saying what's your next. But you are, because aren't, aren't you building experience all the time? Well, I'm, I'm more interested in going diving than doing quizzes. I'm not an instructor. Yeah. I've, I've worked as an assistant instructor for a while, and it's not for me. It's not what I'm interested in. So um, that's not where my ambitions lie. My ambitions lie in becoming a better photographer, going mm -hmm. to more places and meeting more people. So I'm a journalist that dives rather than a, a diver. That's who and that's not a bad thing. That's, yeah, that's, I'd rather, I mean, I'm very lucky. I've dived off like 40 different countries. I've dived all over the UK. Uh, I've got a lot of great friends who have me on their boats. So that's kind of life privilege I kind of enjoy. Are you still maintaining your logbook? No, funnily enough. Um, I, uh, I use a notepad. I use a traditional reporter's notepad. And um, so I treat my day like my journalism and just kind of take notes in that. And obviously a camera is a pretty good recording as well. A camera will record places as much. Yeah. So when I'm, um, I'm out, I'm, when I'm diving, I'm always working on them. Yeah. And typically I'll take notes on thoughts and feelings, but I don't kind of do dive stuff. That, that, mm. That's sort of not my thing. Uh, I, I take notes for a story. Yeah, yeah. yeah good idea. Yeah, so have you yeah. got any plans um, or had you any plans for the rest of the year? Uh, I was supposed to be going to Shetland, which was one of my favourite places to dive in the UK. And um, that was supposed to be in June. That got blown out. Uh, I have an annual trip I was to to Lundy Island uh, in the Bristol Channel, which is a beautiful place to dive with grey seals. Have you done yeah. that yet? No, no, no. It's the best thing you can do in the sea. It's just superb. It, the idea isn't to sort of go and chase after seals, but just go in the water near where there's a seal colony don't disturb them and just do something else, you know, dive in the kelp, in my case, photograph jellyfish. And what typically happens is the seals will come and um, harass you. And the, <laughs> the, it's a fascinating story, actually. The seals live in these really hierarchical uh, rookeries. Their societies are, are based on seniority. And when you're a young grey seal, 
you know, you, you get pretty much abandoned by your mother after a certain amount of time and then you're fending for yourself. So they have to work out where they stand in the, by ritualized play. And that's how they work out kind of what you're made of. So when right. you enter their environment, they extend the same behavior to you to kind of find out what you're made of. So it takes all sorts of different forms. There's um, fin biting is the first thing. They'll chew very gently on a fin. But if you show any distress, they typically, um, some of them snuggle, some of them do acrobats around you. Some of them uh, tie themselves up in seaweed. There's all sorts of behavior. There's a, a doctor um, who goes diving off the, the Farn Island called Ben Burville. And the seals have really got to know him over the years. And as soon as he enters the water, they're all over him. There's no oh. kind of slow sort of build-up. They, they recognise him. Is he uh, the guy I, who I've seen a photo of and there's a seal on his, sort of like virtually on his head? I think that's maybe, maybe him, yeah. Yeah, I think it is. The, the name rings about. Like, we've had somebody on. I can't, I'm, I'm bad with names. And um, uh, somebody's mentioned us before about uh, Ben. Uh, and I think I'm pretty sure that's him in that photo. And that's just, he, he actually takes a selfie, doesn't he? And the, the, he the does. seal right here. Although other people have done the same thing since. Alex Mustard, the photographer, took a, yeah. a really successful selfie of a very tiny pup on his shoulder, which was, you know, it was one of his most successful images over the years. Someone um, told me when I went diving at Fire Islands, the first time I went, um, I've been there every year. I, I love it up there. And uh, gorgeous. But it's just a beautiful place to be. And um, somebody told me once, when I, when I first went, that you have to kind of, if the seals turn up, they're kind of looking for you to entertain them. And I said, what do you mean? Well, you kind of do something. And so I did, and they'd hang about, like wiggle a bit of weed or something like that. And then like, they'll be looking at you and think, what, what's he doing? And, and then when you stop, they're like bored and gone again. Every seal's got the same personality. So there's all yeah. theories about how to keep them around you, whatever. If you're boring and you're doing nothing, they typically will swim away. Yeah. Um, they love free divers. They really, really free divers because I think it mimics them a lot more. The sinuous yeah. movements, having to go up to the surface to breathe, and they're not belching air. It's a very unnatural thing in, mm. a, yeah. in a seal's world to be belching bubbles all the time. In some marine mammals, um, bubble blowing is a threat, but luckily for us, they don't take it that way. And very seldom does the play get so boisterous that it could present any danger. Um, yeah. Obviously, they're wild animals. And if you get a bite from a grey seal, it's a very serious thing because their mouth is rife with sort of bacteria. So mm. the secondary yeah. would be pretty bad. But mercifully, you know, they're quite benign. Like a lot of marine mammals, they're inexplicably benign towards humans. Look, look at killer whales. Orcas, we call them. Yeah. There's no record of an orca hurting a person in the wild whatsoever. There was an incident in an aquarium with a different discussion. It's a different environment, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Being driven mad. All bets are. Uh, Yeah. No, it's interesting stuff. So we haven't got to the end of our chat with Simon. He will be back shortly. But we just wanted to mention about another way you can support the Big Scuba podcast. Ian and I both enjoy adventures under and on the water, and some of which you can view on our YouTube channel called The Big Scuba. The links are in the podcast show notes. Have a look and a view of the videos. Our latest one is all about being fit to die, dive fitness. Uh, So there's little clips of Ian and I at the gym, in the pool, and then we go over to Stony Cove. Short video, but great to watch. So have a view and please do subscribe. And also don't forget to ring the bell so you get notifications of 
more videos as we release them in the next week or so. And we just want to say we really appreciate your support and thank you very much. Don't forget to check out our social media pages. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And there you can keep up to date with our latest adventures and podcast releases. Right, let's get back to Simon. So for somebody like me, just starting out on the scuba journey, have you got any advice? Yeah, work out what you like and do it lots. You know, yeah. diving is right. full of specialities. You know, some people saying you've got to rush to become a tech diver. Um, people are, are fascinated by all the corridors you can go down. I, you know, I became fascinated with the challenge of photography. So I went down that particular alley. Um, yeah. Some people get drawn to wrecks. Some people get drawn to conservation surveys and get involved with Sea Search, which is a, a great charity that relies on citizen science. Um, yeah. Some people get involved with travel. Some people like to stay in the UK to dive. There's, there's so many different approaches for diving and so many different options. I think it's just a question of working out what you like, Gemma, and following your nose, really. Yeah, no, that's great advice for anybody else just starting out as well. It's just, a, and I suppose it's just building up the experience as well, isn't it? Yeah, go diving in a place where you're really comfy. A Red Sea liverboard is a great thing to do because yeah. the diving conditions are very benign, mostly, especially if you go in the north, I'd say. And you can build up your dives quite quickly. And mm -hmm. that gives you confidence just kind of to keep moving on, progressing. Yeah, yeah, we've, it's true. yeah, we've said it's like driving a car, isn't it? Partial test and then drive lots and you become a better driver. Really good analogy. Yeah, yeah. So, so okay. what, what, uh, what changes, what's been like the biggest change have you sort of seen and observed, do you think, over the course of the years that you've been diving and been involved in the diving industry? Well, I, I suppose in terms of the marine environment, we've learned a lot more about what's in the sea. Um, but at the same time, we've learned a lot more about the, the, the dangers uh, that the sea faces in terms of environmental uh, impact. So, for instance, when I talk about us learning more about the sea, when I started, if you ever were to see something like a whale shark, it was deemed to be the most amazing piece of luck. You know, you only see these things once in a lifetime. This is a large filter feeding animal that lives in the open sea. And, you know, I know people who went to whole diving career and never saw one. So it was yeah. taken to be a blessing from the heavens. Since I started diving, um, we've identified maybe 40 or 50 places on the planet where whale sharks aggregate. They come together usually um, to, to feed on an eddy, usually where the zooplankton that they favor um, gets kind of um, uh, gathered up in a particular mm -hmm. spot. So the, the, the really good places going to Djibouti and the Horn of Africa uh, has a bay called Arta Plage where you can be 30 or 40 just zipping up and down. And they're small ones. They're sort of four or five meter whale shark, kind of adolescent level. And yeah. then in the Northern Galapagos, there's a, there's a place in Darwin Island where you can see the proper adults believed to be uh, pregnant females congregating yeah. uh, presumably to give birth and, and, and but nobody kind of knew all this stuff 20, 30 right. years uh, so we're learning more about where things are we're learning how to take better photographs and video of it. but at the same time extinctions are taking place the coral yeah. is under threat everywhere because it's so it's, it's such a good climate change indicator because it's so um, vulnerable to changes in temperature and changes in water quality. Um, yeah. As you know, coral is an animal that creates mm -hmm. its own stone exoskeleton. And inside the coral are lots of tiny little animal polyps. They create these communities so vast they can be seen to space. Absolutely amazing thing. Um, 
but the, part of their sort of recipe for success is that they have um, algae. They create and farm algae that lives inside the structure and that gives coral its color. Uh, and this um, symbiotic algae uh, is what they expel when they get environmental stress. So if the water turns too hot or too cold, uh, mm -hmm. the coral will expel. This. It's called zuzalenthi, the symbiotic algae. And then it's got about two weeks. And if the temperatures don't return to normal, or if the stress isn't taken away, pollution, whatever, then the coral bleaches, it goes white, and, it, and that's it lost forever. A coral head that maybe took, you know, two or three hundred years to grow is, is lost to us forever. And we've seen that across the Great Barrier Reef. And we've seen it in the Caribbean, uh, where pictures from the 1970s, you see these huge fields of elkhorn coral. But that's all gone. That's yeah. all replaced by algal communities, um, which don't support as much life, as much biodiversity. Um, so in a way, we're living in a terrible time of environmental degradation. And there's a huge challenge to us. People say to me quite a lot, do you see a lot of plastic? Well, I do. But that's just the, that's just a symbol of all the awful things that we do to the sea. Because if you're just a normal person who doesn't dive, the sea looks the same as it's always looked. They don't yeah. see reduced fish. They don't see... Um, acidification or pollution uh, but thanks to kind of um, divers telling people what they see and thanks to David Attenborough programs uh, the public's been waking up to these issues sorry I go yeah. on no it's true it's, you know, it's a true point yeah have you actually dived in locations like years ago and then returned to them and seen a dramatic change uh, yeah I, I've been diving quite a lot in the Philippines when I first took up um, scuba so and I've returned to some of the same spots and the, just the coral coverage is less. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, generally things were better back in the day, but it's not the, that's not necessarily the case everywhere. And mm. um, for example, I believe that diver tourism can actually save a place yeah. from being yeah. exploited by bad fishing practice. And the classic example of that, well, there are loads. The classic example is Raja Ampat in Indonesia, uh, Eastern Indonesia, where there was completely uncontrolled local fisheries had decimated the area around Mizul Island. Uh, and then uh, a company bought up the island and turned it into a really forward-thinking eco-resort. And they bought fishing rights and they started an informal voluntary park. And subsequently, the whole food chain has returned. The coral's better, the coral coverage is greater, and, um, and you're now getting kind of mature sharks. So within my kind of diving lifetime, this place has been saved yeah. by divers. Yeah, and that's a real positive thing, you know, Diving industry can do a, an awful lot for yeah, an unknown well, part of the planet. Well, I mean, look at the Caribbean. Yeah. Uh, look at uh, the Bahamas, where uh, one of the first places to protect sharks was when they worked out in, in Grand Bahama and in, in uh, Nassau that each shark has got a huge dollar value because people want to pay to go out and see them. These Caribbean reef sharks are very social and quite easy to control at feeds. So instead of fishing a shark out and selling the fin to a Chinese trader for sort of $50, each shark has a daily dollar value that runs into the thousand because of all the people paying to see them. Mm -hmm. And the local communities are aware of that as well. So, you know, you can't go fishing for sharks legally or illegally uh, in the Bahamas. It's a, it's an achievement that's come out through the diving industry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. And in terms of the types of people diving, have you seen like the demographic and the age and well, female males coming more into diving? I think that side of the demographic, I think the numbers would bear me out that it's um, probably about the same. Mm. Um, I don't remember the exact figures, but 
I think is about a third of divers are, are female. Uh, and there's always more we can be doing to encourage more women into diving. Uh, weirdly, a lot of my buddies uh, tend to be women. I think I like diving with women because <laughs> they're just better divers in general. Uh, I, I don't know why, it's just that that's, that's how it seems to be. In the British Subacra Club, there's a real tradition of kind of strong women who are really capable divers. So my regular dive buddies include um, so, uh, Sophie Rennie, who's a national instructor, which is like the highest qualification of instructors. Yeah. And she's really looked after me uh, in wild places like the Northern Galapagos. Um, and I've dived with Christina Pedder, who's a veteran instructor and works on And uh, I, I think women buddies, divers are really supportive. And I really like that. I'm not some alpha male who needs to boss <laughs> everything. I'm, I'm really happy to sort of have a supportive, caring buddy. Yeah. I think, I think sometimes I think sometimes you can the the male divers can be guilty of being a bit I don't need any help or you know and things like that so yeah I think you can, I can see through that what you what you're saying yeah I mean back in the day I think life was very difficult for women divers especially in the sort of from the 60s to the 80s there's always been traditions really strong women in the diving industry but certainly in the past I think that, you know, some people were trying to dress up diving as a kind of Superman type activity, whereas it's not. It should be about making things as safe and easy yeah. for yourself as possible. Um, and, you know, those dinosaurs are gone. And, and a lot of the early divers in the UK were ex-military. And they oh, I'm pretty sure there's still some dinosaurs still about in the diving world. It's, it's always going to be the same in any sport. And, and it was the same in tennis, wasn't it? Uh, back yeah. in the set when Billie Jean King was challenged by that guy for, to a match and she won it. And it yeah. um, but we need to be encouraging more women into diving and, and the way to do that is to be forward thinking. Actually say women are, tend to be better on their gas consumption than men. It shows that we're not all strong because we're big lads who can lift a few cylinders. It's Diving is more subtle. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure about the air consumption yet. <laughs> <laughs> It's one of those things that gets better and then you get a bit older and it gets worse again. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm strong enough, but yeah, it's just the air consumption. <laughs> right, well, that will improve. Well, I think you're on a journey and you're at a really early stage of it. And when people say, am I using too much gas? My usual response is, you should use as much as you deem necessary in order <laughs> yeah. to breathe and be happy. So it doesn't matter how much you're using. The main thing is you're using it, really. So, yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah, I'll be fine. <laughs> so get, when you get given a choice if you uh, are a choice of say liverboards maybe or doesn't matter or a choice of a dive if you've got a choice between a wreck or a cave what would you go for are you more one or the wreck. other wreck yeah. yeah i wasn't naturally a wrecky guy but because i work for bzac i kind of took on the enthusiasms of um the membership and they're a very very wrecky uh, yeah. I, I think there's more to see most good wrecks are also good reefs for starters so you get more out of it mm -hmm. uh, and caves as an environment they're a bit of a one-trick pony i think they're a massive challenge for really experienced explorers and, and i'm not sure those guys are divers i think they're explorers first and foremost and they'll yeah. use whatever tool is necessary Underwater explorers yeah and the, the, the most cavers i know are fascinated primarily with the cave and the even though they know huge amounts about diving and some of them make their own side-mounted rebreathers stuff yeah. like that but the, the kit is just a tool to get them to where they need to be and the obsession is discovery and the cave i mean it's a yeah. totally different kind of animal and a, a basic cavern that i'd be qualified and safe to go into 
is a bit of a monotonous environment. You know, they seldom have interesting things living in them. It's just a sort of um, a nice place where light and water interact. Yeah. Yeah. So what's been your most interesting um, wreck that you've died? I think wrecks have all got different personalities. Most of them are memorials in some is way. Is there one that stands, is there, is there one particular one that stands out to you? Yeah, it's a British wreck in the north of Shetland called E49. It's a okay. submarine. And normally in Britain, as you know, the wrecks are pretty dark uh, because yeah. of our super rich water. Um, so we have green oxygenated water. Um, and, and that darkness is part of our wreck diving. You use a torch. But E49 sits on a bed of white sand um, in, um, near the island of Unts. And it, uh, uh, it's a First World War wreck. And the submarine went down um, after it struck a mine, which had been laid just two days previously. And I think there was about, I don't know, about 15 men inside. They all died pretty much immediately when it went down. The, the bow was blown off the submarine. And for me, it's like visiting. Obviously, it's a war grave and you have to, you know, you can't touch it. You can't take bits off. So it's like visiting um, a churchyard. It's, it's a solemn place and it's a kind of a place of stark beauty. But at the same time on the conning tower, the kind of bridge of the, the submarine, there are all these juvenile pollock and, and soft corals. Uh, in this beautiful kind of um, greeny blue kind of water. It's ethereal. So there's something kind of otherworldly about it. You'll see more things on other wrecks, I think, but there's just something particular about this wreck that captures my imagination. How deep is that? Pretty a kind of average depth is 29 metres to the okay. sand. And obviously most of it, it's gradually being swallowed by the sand. And one yeah. day it'll disappear entirely. It's just us. It's just divers who bear witness. It's kind of its final identity as a memorial to the guys who dived, who yeah. died on it. And that's yeah. the thing about wrecks. Eventually, they will just disintegrate, won't they? So what you see now is yeah, quite valuable. Yeah, exactly. Which all the more reason which makes marine archaeology so important. You've only got so much time to record. That said, notwithstanding, there are wrecks in the uh, Mediterranean which have got clusters of amphorae that are thousands of years old, you know, 2,000 years old. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Clustered, all, all, the, all the wood is usually rotted away. So you just have these um, clusters of um, amphorae still in the shape of the hull to show you where it all was. And these are really kind of forbidden places where, you know, only kind of highly qualified archaeologists are allowed to go. They're really important. Yeah. Living museums. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So with your um, photography, are you quite a photographer above the water or is it just underwater it's boring taking photographs if you don't stand the risk of losing 10 grand's worth of kit in one <laughs> second when it floods. Um, I, I take photographs above the water but I, i'm i'm a writer that's how i start i was a crime reporter yeah. um, before i became a underwater guy and i went diving to make you know crime reporting is depressing for obvious you're reporting from courts and cop shops and you're seeing people making terrible mistakes with their life so mm -hmm. i went diving to kind of um feel good and to sort of do something positive and, and like every journalist I ended up writing about that uh, and then started taking photographs as well um so yeah topside photographs i do them but i'm afraid they're just snaps whereas my diving photographs i think like yeah yeah what sort of camera sorry Ian, go on. i was quite interesting that you you come from the uh from that career and swapped over to, to scuba and i was thinking well if where if there was any similarities in of what you've learned on the crime reporting and you thought actually do you ever see any like crossovers did i see what sorry any like crossovers between the two 
<laughs> what are you inviting me to say here? Well, I'll tell you one weird story. Um, one of the first guys to import a now defunct piece of kit called the ABLJ, which was oh. the life jacket, the early life jackets before oh, okay. um, adjustable buoyancy life jacket. Is that the which, one that's used to sit just around the chest? Yeah, it was like the precursor to the BCD. Yeah. I remember oh, Andy Torbit mentioned that. Yeah, they're old school pieces yeah. of dive yeah. The guy who imported those was a contract killer in his, his other job. No um, right. Yeah, no, he was called Big H, uh, he was known as. Um, I could get his real name for I think he's dead now, actually. It was a long time Big ago. Big H. Big H. Um, <laughs> I can't find his real name. But anyway, he imported these things uh, as a sideline. But is there a, what you're asking is, is there a huge crossover of criminality and the diving industry? And I have to say, uh, no. Uh, not in criminality, <laughs> Very nice there's people. probably aspects of, probably of uh, analytical um, skills. In terms of probably use skills crossover, where any grounding in journalism will teach you to interviews uh, and teach you the law with regard to publications. Um, yeah. So I'd, I'd learned all that at college and I did it for um, five years on local newspapers. And then I started doing shifts for some of the nationals. So I've worked for a variety of publications over the years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the future of diving? So where do you think diving will be in 10 years' time? Uh, it's very hard to say right now because, you know, we're in the grip of these extraordinary times and people are making very kind of bold predictions about what it's going to be like a few months from now. And the more bold the prediction, the less likely I am to buy into it. Mm. Um, some people are saying that travel is going to stop um, because we're becoming a lot more environmentally aware. And I think that's maybe a bit of a simplistic way of looking at things. One, because the forces that govern the world and that make flights take place are, are, are pretty implacable forces. You know, it's the way the world is. But I suppose the question is, can we find a way to cut out unnecessary travel? Uh, is there a way of um, rationing out long-haul travel so that everybody yeah. has opportunity to do it? but that we don't overdose. Some people mm. um, travel a huge amount. You know, I suppose the question now being posed is, is that morally a good thing to do? Um, so we've had this watershed moment, but a lot of the vested interests in the world just want us to get back to doing exactly what we were doing before. That's the way the global economy is set up. So are we going to change radically as a result of this? I don't think so. I just think we're going to go through a pretty bad recession. Yeah, yeah. But hopefully we'll keep diving in the midst of yeah. it. Yeah. Robot buddies, that's what I want to say. I think, I think you're right. And I think um, maybe that when it comes to different events and people talking, because um, I had this discussion with my brother uh, the other day, and it's, if you want to get business to, to start moving forward, you kind of do need to get everybody talking and talk about business and ideas. And, and his view is you need to get people to actually physically together to do that and you can't because my argument you know we all learn how to use zoom and skype and all these skills that we didn't probably use much at all yeah good so point if you're going to have meetings with people you know do you actually get in a car or on the train or on the plane to have these meetings or do you think actually why spend the money you're spending the carbon as well on the actual transport and getting about when actually you can actually get people together more efficiently online and still have those discussions and still put your heads together. It's definitely been a learning curve in terms of asking people, you know, how much do we really need to travel to do business? Yeah. yeah. But also, you know, people are really missing that personal contact. The diving industry in particular is very reliant on its periodic shows. 
the big expos that are held in Birmingham and Coventry, um, which, you know, as predictably, there's lots of business squabbles over the shows and rival companies put them on. But I know that people who've been in the industry a long time really look forward to the shows because mm. they love meeting old friends and friendship yeah. is a huge amount of what diving is about. Yeah. It is. Yeah. yeah, and it's about the communication, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We've just stimulating people's interest mm. making it to go diving. Social media is great for that because somebody sticks up photographs of, you know, diving off the south coast where the viz has been very good in the last week and it's on the turn now. And you think, well, I really want to be there. I want to yeah. be diving with my friends. It's a part of who I am, you know, and this is something I share with, I don't know how many, thousands of British people who, who say being a diver is a huge part of my identity. Yeah. yeah, and it's that enthusiasm as well that you can create and yeah, becomes infectious, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely, which is what I love about clubs because you learn from people and, and the enthusiasm is multiplied by having more people. It's really yeah. positive. Yeah, no, I'd say, yeah, definitely agree with yeah what little I've seen so far. Have you got a dive location still on your bucket list or wish list? Why? I've never been to Chuck Lagoon uh, in Micronesia, which has got the best wreck diving in the southern hemisphere, um, the, uh, the Japanese ghost fleet. I, I'd love to go and dive there. By all accounts, the preservation of the wrecks and the lovely life on them uh, is just beyond compare. And uh, yeah. I've seen great stories from people who've been there. Um, it is a hell of a journey to get out. Mm. It's a few days and expensive flights, um, yeah. but it's everybody talks about it as being the kind of the the most fulfilling wreck diving. And there's something for everybody. There's wrecks right at the surface, and there's technical wrecks. And uh, I'm comfortable down to about 50 meters, and uh, in that clear water, it'd be fine. There's a wreck called the San Francisco Maru, which has got a beautiful tank on its deck. And that's at about sort of 40, 50 meters, something like that. So yeah, I'd love that? to see these things. Have you dived it? No. I haven't, no, no. It'd be nice to. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, or put it on the list. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's one I've not done. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, marine animals, obviously I'm sure you've seen lots and lots, but have you got a favourite and why? Yeah, the, the great hammerhead, the mockeron. Um, so this is the, the largest of the hammerhead family, and they're really rare. And um, I, I really love them because they're spiky. They look like something out of science fiction. Um, the, the, the ones that appear in the schools are the scallop tan. And it's a huge diving challenge to get close to them because they're super shy. And when they're, dive, when they're in schools, they're kind of in a slightly sleepy sort of mode. They've mm. been feeding all night in the abyss on squid and stuff like that. And they come to that area where the different layers of water meet just to kind of chill and sort of going to slight sleep mode. They can't stop. You know? they, don't, they don't sleep on the bottom like white tips do. Um, but the, the great hammerhead is a solitary animal, and it's a, a predator of large other sharks. It, it predates on um, Caribbean reef sharks uh, and, and eagle rays. It can take out a fully grown eagle ray. They pin them down with the hammer. And it's, it's a lot more... Um, it, it, it's not so easy to find because they're cryptic. They don't like being seen. So there's, to, to an extent, they're ambush predators. Yeah. But they're hugely powerful. They're very big. They can turn on a six. But like everything else in the sea, they just don't attack people. It's yeah. not really... I mean, they look... They were once designated as a dangerous species because they're so big. They're as big as tiger sharks. Um, but the, there's just not a record of them hurting people without being provoked or without people kind of putting themselves uh, in harm's way with baited fish or whatever. Mm. Um, yeah. 
And years ago, I was involved in expeditions to the northern Bahamas in winter to, to find them. And we did it two years in, on the trot, um, visiting these old spearfishing sites where the spearfishers said that they'd seen the, the great hammerhead. And yeah. The first year, we got skunked. We didn't see them at all. Um, but we thought we were onto something. So we went back the second year and we had really beautiful encounters with a 12-foot female, a great hammerhead. And it was amazing. It's like, <laughs> if the Great White is like the B-52 of the shark world, then yeah. the, the Great Hammerhead is like the, um, like the stealth bomber. It's all kind of crazy <laughs> angles and oh, it yeah. just looks unlike anything else. Uh, and we had one around the boat for about two or three hours. So we all got good photographs. And uh, I was just sort of, this was a long time ago, I was just emerging as a photographer. And uh, I got a photograph that made the cover of BBC Wildlife, wow. which was uh, sort of a real kind of, serious kind of achievement for me. I'm really proud of it and still go yeah. on about it. So that was kind of uh, signing my arrival as a diving journalist. You could take pictures. Yes. So that's my shark. Yeah, well, that's the first time we've had a hammerhead as a it is, yeah. yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Okay. Um, so can you name three people who you'd like to take either snorkeling, diving, uh, snorkeling if they can't dive, um, and they can be from history or present day, doesn't matter. So three people. That's a beautiful question. Uh, I'd like to take my mum diving. Yeah. My mum's still alive. She's in her mid-80s. But I think she's gone past the stage in life where she'd be very adventurous. <laughs> so I, I, I'd like to kind of have some magical kind of um, situation where I could show her my world. Right. Um, my wife is, uh, Anna, is, she's not a confident diver. She's, sorry, she's not confident in the water at all. Uh, she can swim, but that's about it. But I've taken her to a few places and shown her the reef drop-offs. There's, there's places in Egypt where you can get right to the point where the reef drops away, which I think is a beautiful part of any coral reef. Yeah. Uh, and, and she's gone snorkeling and kind of held grimly onto lattice <laughs> and pontins. And she's kind of seen that kind of amazing place where turquoise turns deep blue and they get those fish that hang out just on the, yeah. the edge of the drop-off. And so I've shared a bit of that world, but my mum's not seen any of it. And, and, um, if I could magically show her, that would be superb. Be good. Another two um, figures from history. Why? Well, go for the obvious. Jesus, I think, you know. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, he's mostly famous for walking on water. So maybe <laughs> yeah. he's got a bit of a buoyancy issue there. Um, <laughs> but, you know, why not go in with one of the biggies and sort of, you know, hear what a major religious figure has to say about, um, um, about We've life had him under before, the way. I really, I mean, why yeah. not? You know, it's no matter what you believe, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Um, so, so that's interesting. And a third person to go diving with, ah, uh, my hero, David Attenborough. But I'd want to be transported back to time to a time when he'd be comfortable going diving. And he's yeah. not. I don't think he was ever a really comfortable diver, but I think he was keen to do it in order to show the marine life mm. in his program. But he well, was just not here and talking to you as you dive and, and looking around. Yeah, I mean, he'd understand things really well, but I think that part of his appeal as a TV presenter, as a man, is his level of enthusiasm, informed enthusiasm in sharing knowledge and, and, and loving the, the wild world. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, I think he, well, he's obviously the greatest living Englishman, but beyond that, what he's given society throughout my entire lifetime is just beyond compare. So yeah. I think I'd just like to say thanks. Yeah, yeah. lovely. Have you, have, you, have you ever met him? No, I've not been so fortunate. So uh, I've met friends who've met him. And obviously because, you know, a lot of my friends are in the kind of 
underwater filmmaking world. I've got mates who were involved in uh, Blue Planet 2. I know uh, Roger Munns, who was involved in shooting the amazing sequence in the Seychelles of the, the, um, the giant trevally <laughs> leaping out of the water to take oh, yeah, out yeah. the birds. And so, uh, and so they all know him. They all met him. But I think like a lot of really famous, respected people, it must be really confusing to be surrounded by so many people who adore you. So I don't have any ambition to meet him. I just, I'm just really glad he's been there. Yeah. Okay. yeah. No, that's great. Okay. Um, a little bit more of a simpler question on this one. What is your favourite piece of dive kit and why? What's the one bit of kit you can't go without? Allow me to introduce you to my camera rig. Ooh. Oh, wow. That's impressive. <laughs> oh, wow. Sorry, for the benefit of those listening, I am lifting up a uh, Nauticam housing for a Nikon D500, which has got two uh, twin flash guns, float arms, and a small dome port. And when it's full of everything, it probably it's about seven, eight grams worth. And it's a serious piece of kit. You know, like a lot of these things, it sounds awful. You know, it sounds so expensive. How can you do it? But you build it up over time with mm-hmm. lenses, computer components. Yeah. Um, so it's not, you don't buy all this stuff in one go. But once you find yourself so immersed in um, a hobby that you love. It looks quite heavy. You do find yourself. Oh, it's, uh, I guess it's maybe about five kilos, something like that. But in oh. the water, it's, um, in the water, it's slightly negative because you don't yeah. want it um, no. with the right lens configuration. It's slightly sinks, but not too. So the idea is you add these float arms to it and uh, you should have something that if you're taking macro close-up pictures, it's just kind of lightly floating. So you just yes. need to stabilize it and take your shot. But I'm, I'm awful because this is, um, this is not life support equipment. This is just silly hobby kit. So I'll name also my dry suit, which is uh, an O3 RI100 which is a really comfortable, really dry, reliable dry suit. And uh, it's kept me nice and comfy over the years. Yeah. (laughs) So just a quick question. With your camera, do you have that attached to you? Or is that just free? Yeah, you can buy kind of quick snap lanyards, which um, attach it to you. I I don't have mine attached to me that much. Um, But there have been times when I've been swimming above abyssal water and you think if you drop it, that's it. And it would go quite quickly. Yes. So, um, yeah, I have it attached in those cases. Do I'm you have t- like anything else, like GoPro or anything, or power lens or anything like that on the go? It, it should be, a, it, it should, it's a nice thing to do to attach a GoPro to a camera. And I want to do that. I just not got it. Yeah. So video is a bit of a mystery. And choice of dive computer? Uh, I'm a Sunto man. I understand okay. their menu systems. So I have various, I mostly dive on Eon Steel. Yeah. Um, and I uh, have a variety of Sunto backup. So Eon Steel is my current beast. For the magazine, sometimes I try other, uh, other computers. And at the moment, I'm trying out a Garmin uh, Descend, it's called. I've had it for a while. It's a really clever computer. Here, here it is. Um, yeah. And it does everything. And this will do your cycling, your kind of running, uh, you name it, hiking. But, you know, you only need so many of these things. And actually what I don't like about it is the submenus are opaque. Santo's submenus are very intuitive, but Garmin's submenus are, to me, difficult to navigate. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I like computers that do everything for you. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah, you get used to something, don't you? And it's always difficult to yeah, change yeah. brands. Or, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Last question, okay? Uh, this one's a little bit more deeper for you. Okay, so you've got a billboard. We ask this of everybody, and everybody come up with all different answers for this. Uh, so you've got a billboard. 
that you can put a message, a question, an image, a photo, or a statement, uh, and you want to get a message out to all the billions of people out there, what are you going to put on it? It's a half and half photograph of um, the shallows. So you can see a little bit of air above the water, but you can see ripples on sand, no animals or anything. And it's a very appealing blue. And the lettering, I don't know how you space it out, but it needs to be something along the lines of all life on earth depends on the sea. And then a separate line, treat it better. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Nice powerful okay. image. Yeah. Hope you like it. Yeah, yeah. No, Somebody wants to give me a bit of budget, we'll get one designed up. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah, no, that's really good. Yeah, so, so it's nice to hear people's variety of the questions and kind of, yeah, what road they'll go down. Well, yeah, thanks. Great. They're Thank really good questions. I really enjoyed them. All right. Thank so you very much for your time, though. Thank, Thank you. you for your company. I've enjoyed it very much. Good, yeah. Thank, Thank you very much. Right, bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. Fall away And I'll play Well, that was good. I enjoyed that, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, it was lovely. Yeah, it covered so much as well. So yeah, really good. Very envious of the Liverpool trip that you had. Yeah, yeah, and just such calming conversation. Lovely. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. So I hope you all enjoyed that. Uh, so that was thirty-six. Look out for that on the usual places. So yeah, and then it'll be out on our YouTube channel as an audio. I know, so many places. Yeah. So if you just use YouTube hit the subscribe button and you'll get notifications every time we bring out a podcast as, yeah. as an audio book. So let's talk about Patreon just very briefly. So just for a couple of dollars, a couple of quid, you can have a shout out on the show. And for a few dollars more, we can also get you involved and you know you can ask some questions. You know, uh, especially when we've got some specials coming up, it's really good. You can yeah. get uh, that'd be really great. So look us up on the Patreon slash the Big Scuba. Yeah, it's your chance to get involved in the podcast. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just from price of a cup of coffee. Be honest, nothing. So coming up next on episode thirty-seven. Yeah, we have got Mike Valentine of Valentine Films. He is an underwater filmmaker. But let me just tell you a little bit. <laughs> Mike, we planned one hour to, to, to talk to Mike. We did. One hour would cover. And I have to say, we sat there for the whole two hours plus with big, broad smiles on our faces. <laughs> we were loving every minute of talking to Mike, didn't we? Yeah, he even said, Had we brought a picnic? <laughs> I know. And, you know, absolutely fascinating. Now, Mike from Mike from Valentine Films, if you are a James Bond, mm -hmm. you will enjoy Casino Royale. This, this is the one that really stands out in mind. Uh, where towards the end, there's a whole scene where the building collapse. They're in Venice, aren't they? And the and she's in the she's in the lift, and you know she's struggling. And James Bond is there; he's trying to get her out. And all that is filmed thanks to Mike Valentine and his team. Yeah. And um, this comes up. And it's very exciting, and uh, Mike is a uh, very uh, entertaining and energetic. <laughs> yeah, and an absolute treasure to find and talk. To. Loved every single minute that we was in Mike's company, and I'm not just saying; I actually genuinely mean it. It was. Yeah. Yeah. It was brilliant, and I hope anyone who's listened to this download it. The next episode, it's a 
brilliant one. In fact, it's that good we had to split into two parts, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, and I think we'll have him back as well. <laughs> we'll God definitely, God. definitely. Absolutely. It's just endless, endless, the stories he's got to say about yeah. different people and his experiences. It's just, yeah. yeah. And what I've described is just a tiny snip of, if you look on his website, it's been in loads of stuff. If you're a James Bond fan, you will see his work. If you're seeing most of Hollywood, Born Supremacy as well. Born Supremacy, uh, you know, it, the list goes on and uh, we'll be sharing more of this when this episode comes around. So, um, you know, abso an absolute brilliant guy, absolute brilliant episodes to come. Can't wait, can't wait to share. In fact, yeah, so that's episode 37 and 38 will be Mike from Valentine Films. Yeah, yeah. the so um that's enough of me running on i need some tea so <laughs> hope you enjoy this episode i hope you, you're looking forward to the next one and look out for that coming out very shortly and don't forget to subscribe we need your subscribes please yeah and if you've got any comments to make about the episodes or any questions then contact us on our social media pages yes absolutely absolutely that's a good point, Jen. That's brilliant. I love that. It's great. But also, if you've got any emails that you want to, got any questions, send it in by either. We'll do our best to answer them. Yeah, we love hearing from you. We certainly do. That's really good. So, I think that's it until next week. Absolutely. Enjoy. Have a good week, everybody. Speak to you soon. Okay, bye, everyone.